0: Hello and you're very welcome to Erring It Podcast. In this episode, I will be speaking to Senator Malcolm Byrne, who is the spokesperson in Fianna Fáil for Further and Higher Education. I will ask him about the newly launched Apprenticeship Scheme, launched by Nell Collins and Minister Simon Harris. I also will ask him about a key aspect to a democratic society in which we live in and how we can play our part by using the right to vote in elections. All this and more coming up next. Senator Malcolm Byrne now joins us on airing it. Malcolm, you're very welcome to airing it podcast. Thanks very much Ben. Now, Malcolm, um, I'm going to ask you a few questions, a little bit about the apprenticeship scheme that has recently, recently been launched by Niall Collins TD and Minister Simon Harris. So this new apprenticeship scheme, what is it? And how will this encourage more young people to stay in education?
1: So the new apprenticeship scheme uh, is uh, building on uh, the apprenticeship schemes that we've already had in place but there are additional supports being made available. Uh, also we're seeing um, tar- targets about those groups that are traditionally underrepresented in apprenticeships, women in particular, uh, to try to encourage more young women into apprenticeships, but also those with a disability members of the travelling community. Uh, and so on. what we're hoping to see is that we will get to a situation where we have about 10,000 new apprentices across a broad range of disciplines uh, signing up every year by, by 2025. Um, I, th- I think the other big thing apart from the extra places and all of the extra targeting uh, that's been done by the government is that there's going to be much closer working relationship between the further education and training system and the higher education system. Uh, A lot of the time in Ireland, you know, we we, we place probably too much emphasis uh, on on academic achievement and maybe not as much on vocational and apprenticeships and work in that area. So where this is is around recognising the importance of further education and training sector, Uh, we are going to get into a situation that a student who is filling in his or her leaving certificate, after their leaving certificate, filling in their uh, CAO form, now we'll also have on that CAO form, not just about choices of universities or institutes of technology, but also apprenticeship programs and that they can choose there. Uh, so it will be seen that, that going on an apprenticeship, it's of the same value uh, as going to college. Um, the big advantage of apprenticeships generally is you're your earning while learning. Uh, so if you're on the job, but you, you tend to also have an income uh, coming in as well. Uh, and given the changing nature of work, um, you know we're going to be dipping in and out of the education and training systems for all of our lives. Uh, technology is changing everything we do so quickly, so we're always going to need to upskill and reskill. Uh, and there's going to be a really important role there for the further education and training sector. Uh, so there is a, you know, the government has launched a new national apprenticeship strategy, but it's actually more than just a document. It's around changing our attitudes to apprenticeships and making more apprenticeships available and more closely aligning the further. And
0: education systems thank you Malcolm now uh, I suppose with the effects of COVID and what appears to be a possibility of a small recession coming afterwards do you think this apprenticeship scheme will be successful in terms of young people finding employment after COVID and also you did mention there the flexibility of I suppose applying for apprenticeships and university courses as well because there is a lot of a stigma attached to applying on the CEO you have to apply to this level eight university course Um, do you think the apprenticeship scheme will be successful in terms of attracting people who are more practically minded
1: young people haven't been able to engage in the right to passage, you know, of um, 18, 18th birthday parties, 21st birthday parties, the summer of the living cert, the first year in college, you've going on apprenticeships, going out, you know, enjoying what it means to be young. So there's all that social side, um, plus also youth unemployment is off the charts, um, because a lot of young people are obviously employed in some of those sectors, tourism, hospitality, the arts, that have been among the worst hit uh, as part of this pandemic. And So when we come out of this, we have to have a new deal uh, uh, for young know, people within Fall. I've been proposing uh, this, but it's certainly something that the T. shirt and uh, number of ministers uh, are looking at doing as part of the recovery plan. And uh, we're not quite sure, in one sense, how the dust is going to settle coming out of out of this. Um, there is a huge amount of money that has been saved up um, because a lot of people financially haven't been impacted uh, by the pandemic, and if anything, because they haven't been spending money, they've been saving it. So, we, we sort of need, if you like, almost a mini boom coming out of this, that, that once things start to open up, people start to spend to allow the, the economy to recover. Um, but we also have to make sure that young people are equipped to take the jobs that are going to be available as a result of this. And what COVID has done as well is it's accelerated the pace of technological change. So, you know, the fact that... You know, we are now using technology to have this conversation. Mm. Uh, more and more people are using, you know, Zoom calls, grandparents' students Zoom calls with their grandchildren. People are ordering their shopping online. Uh, we have moved, people said, we moved to a cashless society. You know, people are using cards much more. They're not going to the ATMs. Uh, and, in fact, an, an interesting statistic is in the period November to January, uh, there was dramatic growth in credit and debit card use. But 49 cents in every euro uh, on Irish credit and debit cards was in e-commerce. Um, so you know in the past there was a much smaller proportion. It tended just to be when people were maybe booking flights or or the occasional item online. Generally cards were used you know in a physical shop or whatever. Uh, now people are buying everything online. Uh, so Will we go back to how we were pre-pandemic? I think a little bit, but certainly people have adapted to using technology. So that will also mean that for in the areas of education and training, we've got to upskill and reskill everybody, but particularly young people to be able to avail uh, of those new technologies. And, and I think we're gonna see you in a really fascinating decade ahead. Um, I certainly hope that we, we have economic recovery. The indicators are that we will have it uh, you know, pretty quickly we've got to make sure that's an economic recovery for everybody. Um, we can't be leaving people behind. And how we can ensure that is that there is access to educational training for all ages, but particularly for, for young people to be able to avail of those jobs and employment opportunities that technology
0: is now presenting. Yep, thank you. Now, um, so do you think, I suppose, secondary schools across Ireland have some kind of Um, role to play developing technological courses in their subjects to kind of fit what the employment sector requires in the future? Because a lot of subjects are very traditional subjects where sit down and uh, write essays. Do you think more could be applied in secondary schools to equip people for the future?
1: Able. But I also think schools are going to have to look at uh, how um, you, you use technology in, in traditional subjects. And I know, you know, there are more and more schools. So I, I used to chair the Board of Management of Korea College uh, in Gory, which is a very good school, but it was uh, a laptop or tablet only. It was a tablet only school. It moved away from, you know, the, the, the tradition of school books and a school bag. Um, I, I certainly think you've got to see you know, a greater use uh, of technology. Um, We're gonna see over the, you know, the next decade, blockchain technology, for instance, is gonna be something that's gonna transform banking and finance. Mm. It's gonna cut out a load of intermediary areas, I think like insurance, Um, but it's also gonna provide opportunities in public administration. In, In transport, for reasons of technological change, but also in order for us to address climate change, you know we're we're going to see um, dramatic transformations. Uh, you know I wouldn't be surprised, for instance, if we saw hydrogen powered uh, automated cars within a de- within a decade. And people are thinking that's a bit far fetched. Not really. It, the, the technology is there. It's just about you know making it available. And, and tipping points happen uh, in all of these in all of these spaces. We're going to be going in. You know if. We're going to go, go in to buy a suit or to buy, uh, you know, uh, clothes. Um, we'll be walking in, we'll be scanned in the clothes shop and uh, made to measure suits will will come on the basis of the measurements from a scan that's that's suddenly taken uh, from us. Uh, we'll be moving towards having a digital wallet with digital currencies. So all of that's going to happen over the, the next decade. The education system itself obviously needs to adapt to that and Minister Norman Foley's obviously announced a very welcome review of the leaving search. I think it it is appropriate that we have finally have uh, a review of our methods of assessment. But it's not just going to be at second level we have to change. For all of us, we're going to have to look at upskilling and reskilling. No matter what job you are in, uh, technology is going to change what you're doing. And I think it's important that we have uh, citizens who not only are able to use that technology but i think for ireland it's really important that we have a role in shaping it uh, as well Uh, so we we need to support our new tech entrepreneurs give people that you know the 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 skills to be able uh, to develop new technologies to solve the problems that that we have so uh, the government uh, and i was a strong advocate um, of uh, the setting up of the Department of Further and Higher Education, Research, Innovation and Science. It was clear, uh, Fianna Fonwell commitments in the general election and part of the programme for government. And the department is not just about an administrative department looking after our universities and training centres. That department has to be far reaching. It has to look at those changes that are coming down the track uh, over the next decade and how we can equip all of our citizens to be able to avail and shape uh, the, those technological changes.
0: That's great, thank you. you know. So next I want to speak about, I suppose, what you spoke about um to the Irish Independent about tabling a debate about the disproportionate number of working class people who are applying to higher point courses at university. We know this has been, I suppose, an issue and a concern among, I suppose, parents as well, that their kids aren't fulfilling what they are expected to fulfill in terms of uh, their education. And um, could you tell us a little bit more about why there's a disproportionate number of working class communities applying for the Higher Points courses? And I suppose, what could be done about that?
1: Well, first let me guess We'll
0: start with the good news, yeah. um, in that it has, it has never been as easy
1: to access a college course, or indeed now as we've seen, a further education and training course. Uh, There are more and more options uh, available Uh, and again this year we'll see an additional few thousands uh, college places as well as the apprenticeship places available. So that's good news for everyone Um, and it does mean that people from all social backgrounds have the opportunity to go on uh, into higher education and more and more supports are are, are being made available so that, that, that is the good news. One of the challenges has been for a long period. It is that a lot of the, the professions, and I'm thinking particularly law and medicine, uh, tend to be dominated by those from um, better-off uh, financial backgrounds. And the Higher Education Authority did some research, and you know it found that. The proportion of doctors for one of their parents was a doctor was way way ahead of you know any national averages. Similarly, with you know those in, in the legal profession, a lot of people in the legal profession came from a higher professional background. And look, it is natural that you know if you are if you're born into a family of doctors, no more than if you're born into a family of teachers or a family of farmers. There's a fair chance you know that, that, that some of the family will want to pursue that. My concern, I suppose, was that um, those from what would be called lower socioeconomic groups, working class backgrounds, disadvantaged backgrounds, uh, weren't going on to study law, and particularly medicine, in very high numbers, uh, and then kind of post-graduation going on into the professions uh, themselves. Uh, and I certainly think that we should have professions that are are accessible, but also are seen to be accessible. Uh, and what I want us to look at is: Are there more measures that we can take um, to ensure that the professions are far more representative of, of society as a whole? Now, some of that is about, you know, targeted support schemes, and a lot of the universities are doing that. Uh, some of it then is around the professional training courses, uh, and I think, you know, particularly in the legal profession, if you look at the King's Inns, to train to be a barrister. know if you don't have the connections and you don't have the money uh, it's very difficult for you to build a network or to be able to sustain yourself during uh, your apprenticeship Uh, so i I think there's an obligation on you know the professional bodies uh, to address that Um, i also think part of it is around the you know sending out the message uh you are what you you know what you can see um that we need to encourage um more students from uh, you know, working class background into law and into medicine. I think I think it's important. We should try to get, a, a, you know, in in all walks of life, uh, you know, far greater levels of representation of, of underrepresented groups. And uh, I I it in other areas. For instance, I mean, we we don't have enough men going into teaching, um, but equally we don't have enough women going into uh, computing or engineering um, subjects. And We've got to look at you know what, what are the reasons behind that. Uh, is it about you know the way that our education system operates? Is it that the financial supports aren't being made available? Is it that there aren't enough role models and those stories uh, being told? Uh, so you know what are the structural barriers? What are the educational barriers? Uh, and specifically looking obviously my, my motion for the shannon is to try specifically looking at the legal and medical professions to see how they can become more open and more importantly seem to be more open uh, to those uh, traditionally underrepresented groups
0: that's great malcolm now um i'm actually going to move on to voting and i suppose the electrical the electoral system that we are so privileged to be able to take part in and particularly young people who are 18 and over. um, I just want you to explain a little bit about why we should exercise our right to vote and I suppose how we can go about that, because a lot of people are like, how do I actually vote in the doll elections or a presidential election, for example, you know, is it simple? <laughs>
1: those people we can kick them out, and if we are happy, we can put them back in again. Um, you know, a lot a lot of places don't have that that opportunity, and we sometimes take that democracy uh, for granted. Uh, one of these I'm, I'm really proud about in Ireland is our constitution. And some people can say, you know, it's, it's it's outdated and so on. Yeah, it was written eighty years ago, but it was the first constitution in the world uh, that came into effect as a result of a popular vote of the people. So. The American Constitution was decided by a lot of older men, you know, in, in, in a room. Uh, you know, in a lot of other countries, at the Constitution is just decided by a group of people. In, in our case, yes, uh, it was something De Valera, Era, you know, along with others, wrote, uh, but put it to the people in a referendum. The people voted for it, uh, and it was the first time in the world that a Constitution was adopted in that way. And when you look at some of the fundamental rights, you know, the things we talk about now, but you know, the right, uh, to, uh, the right to our democracy, uh, the right to freedom of expression, uh, the right to education, all of those rights that, that, that flow from the Constitution, and uh, the right to protest. Um, those were rights that were adopted in Western Europe in the late 1930s. And if people think about the kind of the political atmosphere in Europe in the late 1930s, which was very much about going away from fundamental rights, you know, the Irish people took a big step uh, at the time. So, so these, these things are, are, are really important. I mean, you know, we sometimes think of Ireland as a relatively young country. Um, we are the fourth oldest continuous democracy in Europe. Uh, you know, 50 years ago, a majority of countries in Europe. Um, were not democracies; uh, they were they were dictatorships. And I'm not just talking about Central and Eastern Europe. Uh, Greece, Spain, Portugal uh, were not democracies fifty years ago. So you know, it, it's a, it's a fragile thing. The main reason why I say you know to be devoted is, is it's not the only element of taking part in a democracy, uh, but it's it's one of the most fundamental. Um, uh, in a representative democracy, we get to choose it is that makes decisions on our behalf. So whether that's about housing or education or health uh, or big issues like climate change or human rights or foreign policy, uh, we get to pick the people who make those, uh, those decisions and, and that's, that's still a really important right uh, that, that, that we should cherish. Uh, we're also pushing this country, up to we, have, we have a referendum on, uh, on big issues so we get as, as, uh, as a populace to make the decision there. Um, for those, it's a very simple process to uh, to register at the moment you register with your local authority. Uh, so, you know, if you have any, just go to your city or county council and say, look, I, I'm, if you're not on the voting register already, uh, just fill in the form and, and get it in and get yourself added to the register. Uh, the government is bringing forward a new electoral commission. Which is going to oversee elections and it's going to look at trying to reform that whole process about how we register uh, to vote uh, but, but also what it's going to do is about you know run information campaigns around voting and, and that process so that might hopefully by the time of the next general
0: election that electoral commission will be up and running yep that's great you see some of the issues that were brought to me back at uh, university in Minnesota that people who wanted to vote in referendums and presidential elections, they weren't resident in their home county at the time, and they weren't at home. They might have been living, say, in Mayo or Donegal, and, you know, that long commute back home, that was an issue for them. Um, Thankfully, I was able to register with that local authority, but a lot of people didn't vote simply because they didn't know how to go around about that. Do you think a reform could be introduced there to allow people, wherever they're studying, um, to vote in that local authority? Yeah, well, well in, in, in theory, you can.
1: You can only register with one local authority. So if you were studying with Manute, you could go to Kildare County Council uh, and to register where you're, where you're living there. I, I certainly think we need to look at uh, reforming our postal voting system uh, to make it easier that if people are away from their home address on a particular date, um, you know, we can do it in very limited circumstances if you're away from work, but I think people are away from work or study, uh, or e- even just if it's the case, if you're at a wedding in another part of the country, uh, you know, if you want to exercise your franchise, uh, you should be able to do it. Now, we shouldn't make it too easy, um, because, you know, we, we want to ensure that we don't see voter fraud, um, but if somebody's determined enough to cast the vote, you know, just because they're not, on a particular date, uh, we shouldn't deny that. Uh, this is certainly something that the new electoral commission is going to be looking at. Um, I think we should try and facilitate people it, as much as possible to be able um, to uh, to cast your vote. I mean, every election and all politicians will tell you that you know they lose what they would call certain votes uh, because people have pre vote uh, you know, and uh, lots of people they they, they may be way in continental Europe. Uh, for a long weekend or week, the ele- the ele- you know, while the election is on, they definitely would have voted, but there's no way that they can do so.
0: Thank you. you now. So, uh, Senator Malcolm, is there anything that could be said for people under 18 being able to vote? That's a big controversial issue, I suppose, among a lot of people. Um, What do you think there? <laughs> well, I, I, I support it, uh, and I have
1: supported um, reducing voting age to 16 uh, young people are interested in politics uh, maybe not in political structures but if you talk to young people about issues from climate change to ending direct provision to the cost of car insurance to community youth facilities young people are really passionate and interested in in, in those issues uh, and i think that if you do allow 16 and 17 year olds to vote the main political parties will focus a lot more on issues uh, i believe affecting young people i think the uh, the Irish Second Level Students Union showed, uh, you know, how young people around the whole question of uh, dealing with the leaving cert this year and last year, in how young people can take a really engaged role uh, in in our politics. And um, the a number of countries, Brazil, but in the European context, Austria, for instance, for a decade and a half now, has allowed sixteen and seventeen year olds to vote. The evidence is is that if young people start to vote at that age, they are much more likely to continue voting uh, for the rest of their life. Um, it's been introduced in Scotland for the Scottish independence referendum. Uh, it was in place, it wasn't for the Brexit referendum. Uh, interestingly, the Welsh Senate, uh, they hold elections uh, in May, and for the first time there in Wales, uh, 16-year-olds uh, are going to be allowed to vote. The um, Constitution Convention, the Citizens' Assembly, Here considered the matter as well. They recommended reducing the voting age uh, to sixteen, and uh, I brought forward legislation to propose that we would uh, do it for the twenty twenty four local and European elections. um, To allow sixteen year olds to vote in the local and European elections only requires a change in the law. Uh, for the general election or for presidential elections or for referenda, we, w- we will have to have a referendum to do that. But I think that if we try it in 2024
0: for the local European elections, that, that could be a good start. Thank you. Now, could you just speak briefly about what has, I suppose, inspired you to get into politics, and what would you say to the young people who might be listening, going, I don't really vote, I don't really have any intentions to vote, or what would make me vote? I mean, I got, I got involved, I suppose I was interested
1: in things there. I don't come from a political family, uh, it was by conviction not conception that got me involved. Um, but I was really interested in things that are happening in my community and how decisions were made and my, my parents were quite involved in things to the community as well. And then I also, you know, so global issues. So you know, during my teenage years, i uh, going into my, my student years, I saw things like the Berlin Wall falling, Central and Eastern Europe escape from the, you know, the communist shackles. Nelson Mandela being set free. In Ireland, we had the peace process, which led to the Good Friday Agreement. Which, you know, I know things are not perfect, but I can tell you, you know, the Good Friday Agreement has made things a hell of a lot better on this island uh, than it was beforehand, when, 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 you know, people were killing and maiming each other. Um, so, so politics can make a real difference, and it does make a difference uh, in people's lives. But it's also about, about small things. It's about, you know, uh, how much tax you're paying when you're working, uh, you know, how, how much you have to pay in rent, uh, how much you pay um, for car insurance. Um, if you're interested in, you know, the human rights of citizens around you, and we've seen, you know, that around the marriage equality referendum and the abortion referendum, you know, those are decisions that as people, uh, you know, we had a major say and a major input in, into those. Uh, and regardless of your view on it, you know, you were able to take part in uh, in those debates. So, so if you want to change things that are happening at a local, a national, or a global level, and whether it's just purely about you, or it's about your community, or indeed the planet it, it itself, the only way you're going to do it is by getting involved. Sitting on your backside and shouting at the TV um, is not going to change anything. Um, posting a few comments on Facebook and Twitter won't really uh, have, have a big impact. But by getting involved in a political party, or in a campaign, or by even just turning out and voting, uh, you can't make a real difference.
0: Thanks very much to Senator Malcolm Byrne for joining us on airing it. If you have any issues, or opportunities that you think that young people could avail of, please do get in contact via our email address, which is erringitmedia at gmail.com, or our social media platforms. Thank you.